Welcome to the Fieldcraft Survival Podcast. I'm your host for the ad space and this podcast. My name is Kevin Estella. I'm the director of training. I'm on the survival side of the house. So if there's anything related to living in the woods, taking food off the land, general badassery when it comes to trees and rocks and dirt and stuff, that's me. Guys, this podcast is only, only possible with the support of our good friends. And I want to bring up two of our sponsors today, two of our friends, Black Rifle Coffee and Sig Sauer Firearms. I'm going to start off with Black Rifle Coffee. First and foremost, they are great, great folks. We've done a number of events with them over the years. Uh, we either head up to their facility in Salt Lake. They send us stuff for us to take with us to Overland Expo. When we do coffee and go rigs here in Heber and when we do these events all around the country, we've usually got Black Rifle Coffee in tow to give out to folks because we believe in it. Uh, we love the mission that Evan has started over there, all of his employees from so many different diverse backgrounds and all the different programs that they're they're putting out, all the different interesting and many times like really funny, really funny things that they're doing over there. So uh Guys, you can definitely support Black Rifle Coffee, who in turn will support us by using the coupon code CRAFT15, and that'll give you a discount when you purchase certain items online, and those items, with the exception of a few like ready-to-drink things, because you know they don't want to ship liquid, it's probably not the safest thing in the world, um, and a few of the packages, you can get 15% off your order, uh, so please check out Black Rifle Coffee. Dot com. Check them out on all the different socials. You can see all the things that they're doing. And if you happen to swing by Heber City and come to our headquarters, you probably will be offered a cup of Black Rifle Coffee by our good friend Brenda, who works in the store. And if it's not Brenda, it's maybe Jen, the fabulous Jen Cardo. Please follow Jen too. Um, so, guys, thank you so much, Black Rifle Coffee. We love you. Another sponsor is Sig Sauer. Sig Sauer Firearms, some of the best firearms in the world. Good friends. Uh, a lot of the guys here at the company carry SIGs, whether it's the 365 or the 320. Recently got my hands on the new X10, which is the 10 millimeter version of the 320. And if you guys don't know what the 10 millimeter is, it's the one that has all the millimeters. It is uh, a pretty hot round. I mean, back in the day when uh, the 10 millimeter came out, the hottest rounds were on the low end of like, say like a 41 Magnum ballistically. And you can still get ammo. SIG makes some great ammo uh, for the 10 millimeter. That makes it a real potent handheld uh, bear protection gun. So uh, please check out that new gun, the SIG X10. My personal favorite SIG that I own is my MPX. I've currently got it in my little, you know, uh, K configuration. So it fits inside of a backpack with the stock collapsed. And that thing is just way too much fun. Um, guys, SIG makes some great firearms. I was just up at SIG not too long ago for the grand opening of the SIG Experience Center. And if you get a chance and you're in Epping, New Hampshire, please take a look at that. They've got a museum. They've got a full pro shop. They've got the uh, ranges where you can go and try all the guns right there. And then of course there's the academy and the academy is what I'm a graduate of. I've taken a whole bunch of courses there, pistol, carbine, shotgun, precision rifle, I love it. Uh, it's made me who I am today as a as a gun guy. So please check out Sig Sauer and uh, the Sig Academy and the Sig Experience Center. 
All right, we're going to get down to this podcast. Guys, please check out Black Rifle Coffee and Sig Sour and uh, give them a little bit of love for making this possible. Here we go. All right, guys. I knew this day was coming. I knew it. I just knew it. I had a funny feeling that we were going to get this guy on the podcast. But before I even talk about this guy, I'll just say that uh, very rarely, very rarely do we get a guest on that is going to combine humor and combine good looks and and combine, you know, expertise in his field. And, you know, he, he, this guy kind of does it all. Uh or maybe he doesn't. I don't know. You guys can be the judge. Uh, Nate Jones. Doc Jones is a, a good friend of mine. He's actually one of the first people who I met at Fieldcraft back in August of 2020 when Nate was kind of a student, kind of employee, not really an employee, not really a student. And I was on the first bug out on foot class that I ever taught. And over the past year and a half, Nate's been volunteering, kind of getting voluntold by different folks here at the company and doing this, this and that. And he just kept coming back for more. Uh, so he's finally on our payroll and Nate is uh, one of the good guys. Uh, he's someone that I enjoy hanging out with. I, I can listen to this guy talk all day. He's very knowledgeable in all things, uh, you know, emergency medicine. And we just happen to have a good time when we, we hang out together. So guys, you're about to hear from Doc Jones, as we like to call him. So Doc, how the hell are you? Yeah, how's it going, man? That was kind of like yeah. a long-winded, very exhausted, <laughs> like actually possibly the worst introduction I've ever done. <laughs> but you and I are only both coming off of a long know, only weekend. Only because I'm debating how true it's going to be. I'm yeah, I know. High bar, man. I mean, we're both we're both coming off of a super long weekend of training, and I feel like I'm I'm half in the bag here. So like, yeah, I, that was about as good of an introduction as I was going to do for this podcast. So listeners, <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. Um, I'm sure we'll make up for it as we keep going and Nate drinks his pre-workout over there. So what's going on, man? Uh, not, not a whole lot. Just still, still recovering from our, our, our crazy weekend in Vegas. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about that. So both you and I, we went down to Vegas. Uh, we met up with the guys at Van Comp. I was there on Friday for the Remington 870 armors class that Van Comp uh, graciously allowed me to sit in on and get certified as an 870 armor, but they also found that location that we were able to use for your emergency medical treatment course and my uh, land nav class. And I mean, we had a packed room on both days. I mean, there was not a seat that was unoccupied in that horseshoe all the way around the room. And then on top of it, you know, from teaching from eight o'clock until I think we stayed till six, both days, just talking to people yeah, easy. easily. Right. So for 10 hours in that, that room, you know, then we had to deal with Vegas, which I mean, that's my first real time on the strip. And oh my God, like I, I told you the last time I was there was for the, uh, the bull riding finals in like 2006. Yeah. Uh, Vegas, it deserves its reputation as sin city. Um, I think if you have any vice, that city will swallow you alive. Like, if you're into women, guess what? There's going to be women that are going to want to, you know, take money from you. If you're into gambling, there's gambling at the airport and in convenience stores. If you want alcohol, it's for sale as you're walking down the road illegally by a bunch <laughs> of dudes that are selling you beers from a cooler that they definitely don't have a liquor license from. Two uh, for five dollars. Two for five dollars. That's right. Beer or cerveza. <laughs> Any uh, two for five dollars. Large selection. <laughs> yeah. So. 
So yeah, that's what we're we're coming off of, guys. If you're listening, uh, and we'll be hey, back. Mike then. Hernandez, Mike Hernandez showed us that there's there's men there. You know, if you're if that's your vice too. <laughs> Holy shit! Yeah, Mikey showed up uh, along with his boy, and you know he was uh, passing through on the way up here, which I don't even know what his gladiator is getting for gas mileage, but he just seemed exhausted and wiped as well when he got there. Uh, yeah, you can tell in his eyes, his eyes all glassed over, still having another probably six six hours to go to, to heber yeah yeah that's that's a long drive i mean i did it in five and a half but i mean my vehicle is a little bit more highway friendly than his um <laughs> he has 40 inch tires on his jeep which that's just absurd so yeah we're just we're just recovering from that but uh let's talk about the your first let's talk about your first encounter with fieldcraft because i met you you already had taken a class and Kevin Owens is like, listen, we've got this guy that has already been through this class, but the other students don't know it. And he's going to be our mole. And <laughs> yeah. you, you were involved with Fieldcraft for a while. So how did you first find the company? Through, through YouTube. Uh, it was, I feel like that's how, how a lot of stuff has started these guys, especially right around them for, for Fieldcraft. Um, Mike G did a video on uh, one man CQB that popped up on my feed and, uh, so then that, uh, that turned me on to the podcast. And then I listened to a lot of super good podcasts with, um, Mike Glover and Kevin Owens. And the more they talked, the more, obviously you want to, you know, partake in those expertise and just get the, their, their opinion, their style is probably what it boils down to. And, uh, yeah. So then I started going to a bunch of different trainings. I did a, I did a bug out, bug out basics with, uh, with, uh, the vehicles with the rigs with my cousin and then a week later i went and did the uh the bug out on foot for the uh, the very first class that they did on that and met a whole bunch of awesome people and had five full days of of that bug out course man and then you liked it so much you signed up for the second bug out on foot class but in the, in the end of that bug out course it was uh i mean it was 2020 so like obviously there was time to fill um, and not a whole lot of places to go to fill it. And so I uh, asked Kevin Owens after the class, I said, Hey, you know, if there's ever, if there's any, if there's ever any help that you need, you know, for any of these courses, um, you know, this is kind of my background and he, he'd had five days to kind of have a little bit of idea of what my background was and, and, uh, you know, how big of a turd I might may or may not have been. And so just basically offered to say, Hey, I can always come back and help. And then I had a couple opportunities to, to help out. Then I, I did a the gunfighter pistol carbine courses where I got to talk and hang out with them and and, and help out a little bit more there. And then I did uh, some long range courses with Kevin. Where same thing, I got a chance to 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 be around him a little bit. And then that's when he reached out and invited me to to be the mole, the dirty mole for the the bug out two course. And I think you did it the right way. I mean, people ask that question all the time. They're like, "Well, how do you how do you get?" A job with fieldcraft and i mean unless it's a very specific job like hr uh or it's a job like you know uh you know someone who's working behind the scenes like working in our production you know to become like one of the instructors we don't really put out the the call for instructors you have to be asked um very very rarely you know will we ever really say hey like we need guys to do this this and this like usually it's it's a referral 
Um, and you put in your time. I mean, you took all the classes, you, you got to know the guys. I mean, I know on the survival side, you know, I, I came and joined Fieldcraft and I had a handful of guys that I, I brought on. Um, and when people are like, well, who should we train with? Who should we train with here and there? I'm like, well, let's get this guy on our, our roster. Um, so you, you cut your teeth, so to speak, and you learn from, from those guys and, and now you're here. Um, it comes up all the time, you know, we always get, always say, I mean, of course you and I talk about it a bunch. We always get those questions like, uh, you know, or, or it, and then it's funny, it's funny cause I'll, I'll do things with Fieldcraft and I have people, people reach out from, from former lives, you know, being like, Hey dude, did I just, did I just see you on Mike Glover's, you know, like Instagram page or YouTube or whatever. And then they always ask like, how did you get involved with Fieldcraft? And that's kind of, that's kind of the answer is there's not, um, he said we don't put out the call a whole lot, but as we as we start to teach, there's so many people out there with good experience. But then finding people that can consistently um, one more than anything, I think, want to teach. Yeah, I guess you've made it when Mike, I guess, gives you a shout out, or you can get away with making fun of Mike online and he reposts. You know, I think those right, are right. I think those are two big milestones in uh, in the field craft. You know, when we can find people in the Luxor hotel to, uh, <laughs> to, to, to tag Mike with and he, and he'll reshare it. I mean, that's another funny question that you get all the time too, is, uh, is Mike the same type of person that he is online? And it's just funny. Like, all, like that any of us wouldn't be, I guess. And it's weird because everyone I meet in the company is the exact same as they are online. And maybe, you know, it's interesting because then you're like, okay, well, do, do these people not show enough of like, does Mike Glover not show that he jokes or that he kids as much as he does in real life? Cause that's how he spends a lot of his time. Uh, it's not like, there's no a self, I guess, aggrandizement through all of us on the company. Like most people just like that. Like we just like to hang out with each other. Yeah. We like to hang out with each other and we're the same people. Uh, whether we were behind this podcast recording stuff or behind the camera or, you know, teaching a class, people often say like, I can't believe you're just like the person online. And I'm like, really? I can't believe that either. You know, like, right. like, oh my gosh, I just happen to be a real person and you know, I'm not a phony. Um, but let's talk about your background because I want people to know why, you know, you and Kevin Owens kind of clicked, um, cause you have a similar pedigree with respect to military service. Um, so how did like, who the hell is Nate Jones? Yeah, I, uh, other than the fact that we were both in the United States Army, I think that's, uh, that's as close as I would claim to a, a similar pedigree as Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> that dude, that dude's about as impressive as they come. But, um, yeah, I, I was an 18 year old kid. I joined the Army straight out of high school. I was, uh, I was a huge nerd in high school, like, did all the JROTC stuff. And I, I knew that that was kind of the route that I wanted to go and went straight in. I, I tried to, Tried to join when I was 17. Dad wouldn't uh, sign the contracts uh, for for what I wanted to do, so I had to wait. But it was good that I waited. I had the time to, to pick a new job, which was medic. I thought, okay, cool. I'll, I'll join the army. I'll do four years, and I'll come home. You know, get my EMT, and I'll be a firefighter. And then, you know, I don't think I didn't leave the army till 13 years later. But um, I got exactly what I wanted though. As soon as I came into the army, I got to go to infantry infantry platoon and infantry battalion and get to learn from, from tons and tons of people. Like, as I look back at my whole military service, that's, I mean, the, the, so obviously where a lot of the passion from teaching comes from is because I had such great teachers. What changed your mind 
Like you, you said you were going to go in for four years and you stayed for 13. It's easy. You know, well, it's like I, the first time I re-enlisted was when I was in Iraq and, uh, um, I hadn't really, I don't know, maybe because I was a young kid, I, I wasn't, I wasn't looking ahead very far. Like I, I thought I mean, a four-year plan was as much as I could comprehend, I think, when I was 18. And then even, I'll never forget, I, I was in a training exercise in California, and um, I had just finished this, like, giant mass casualty that, that our, our company had done when I, I just became a company senior medic. And at the end of it, my my mentor uh, kind of asked me, he's like, hey, man, like, what do you, what do you want to do? And I said, oh, I don't know. I think that if you know, I think I might do flight medic or something after this, I think that might be cool. I mean, like that was as far as I could see, which is, I mean, the equivalent of like, oh, I'm an EMT, like maybe I'll become a paramedic, you know, and the fact that it has a helicopter just made it, you know, look cooler. And he looked at me and he was like, dude, he goes, if the, the biggest thing, he goes, if all you ever do is become a flight medic, that'll be such a huge waste. And I was like, oh, gosh, you know, I thought, I thought that was kind of cool, <laughs> you know. And then, but I mean, it kind of opened my eyes to the idea that, oh, wait, no, there's actually, there's other things to achieve. And then there's, there's bigger things to, to go after, after. And so, you know, he helped me plan a route that ultimately was for becoming a physician assistant and kind of, and, and, you know, higher, higher level education and, and stuff like that, that we started to plan out for over the, the, the coming years. And now, which ultimately, obviously, I'm not a physician assistant, so it's it's funny how how life changes. I mean, that was the plan. I go to Hawaii, and then a whole bunch of family stuff, and so you know the the route changes a little bit. But I, I that was probably a big defining moment for me that I, I still still look back on as, hey, like there's there's more to achieve, there's more to do. When you talk about your your plans changing, I know that you had a lot of experience, obviously, combat deployment, and then you spent some time in Hawaii, like you said, and, and you're, I, I know that you and I have talked a bunch about Hawaii and you brought up a story that I've never heard you say when we've been together until we, you were teaching this past weekend about how when you're in Hawaii and like you had that medic experience and you wanted to run towards the emergency and the medical professionals over there were like, no, 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 we, we don't have to run. You know, like, right. Right. Yeah. It, it, and it's funny that like, it didn't click, uh, you know, from like previous experience, you know, so like, uh, yeah, it was a, it was a code, you know, was, I mean, I mean, then I can go back and forth about experience. I mean, the most broad overview, right. Was, was being in an infantry unit and then switching, going to Hawaii. And then I started working inside of, of an acute care clinic, kind of an emergency room. We weren't supposed to be, but we got treated like one. We had ambulances that we were, doing patient transports on, you know, working, working with the larger hospitals and, and doing a bunch of different stuff. And I'd go from that and then I would go to back to an infantry unit and then I would switch back to uh, a hospital unit and I would be back inside of an emergency room or doing medical administration, um, which is a broad overview. Like the medicine that I had my whole career, I would have to change and put into a new context every time I changed jobs, which was super interesting and i think it, only because it gave me that perspective of uh, there's a lot of truth in a lot of places but not always in the place but it's not always relevant to where you're working or the, or the the place that you want to use it which i think has shaped a lot of how we've designed or talked about emergency medicine when we talk about or i guess how we teach it yeah and as a teacher uh something that you're known for 
Like I, I expect it anytime I hear you open your mouth. I'm like, oh, here we go. Here we go. Is the dark humor. You know, we have and, to listen to each other, tell all the same jokes and the same, you know. <laughs> yeah. You know, and there's certain things where I'm like, oh, here it comes. Here it comes. And I kind of instead of looking at you while you're teaching, I'm looking at the audience to like, see <laughs> what their reactions are going to be. But I mean, I've heard other people in medical fields say that the humor is kind of like a coping mechanism because you're dealing with life and death. You're dealing with with some pretty awful things. Um, but you take your dark humor to a new level, like to the point where if there are medical <laughs> professionals in the class, they're looking at you like, oh, my God, <laughs> he just said that. Oh, God. Um, but yeah, the your delivery is very good. Um, and that's something that the students the students like and something that I think we all do here at the company is that we'll show multiple ways. Um, I felt bad because I recently posted up something or I sent something to Mikey Hernandez to post on the main page. And I was like, Oh, Nate Jones shows the way to stage a tourniquet. And then you and your story were like, no, 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 a way, not the way. And I was like, damn it. That's right. You know? And maybe that was just me being (laughs) tired when I typed up that caption, but, uh, that's something you and all the guys here, like we, we all tend to do is like, we want to show you multiple ways and whichever way works for you is, is the way, um, there is no one way, but if it's something that works best for you, that's the way to go. But, um, have you found, that's what's so funny is how often that stuff comes up. Is, what, what's uh, that? Well, just like, you know, like, uh, is it, is a general rule. It's kind of almost like, Hey, be cautious of the person that says this is the way, you know, unless, uh, unless they're quoting the Mandalorian. I mean, like that because it's almost, it's almost never the case. Right. I think the guys that tend to do that, where they say this is the way either have limited subject matter knowledge or that they only know one way and they can do it extremely, extremely well. Um, and they can talk about the virtues or maybe the, the pitfalls of doing things another way, but they do that one way very, very well. I like it when an instructor can show you multiple ways, like physically demonstrate in front of you, Hey, this is what it is, whether it's something firearms related, med related, survival related, it doesn't matter. Um, but I, I think with that whole idea too, of someone who's going to tell you, Hey, you can only do it one way on a grand scale that that's dangerous. Like when you start thinking, well, if there's only one way here, maybe there's only one way elsewhere, you know, and, right. and, and what we want to do, and you've said it in classes and I've said it, we don't want to teach you what to think. We want to teach you how to think. And if you're only thinking that there's one solution and that there couldn't be a potential alternate way of doing something, then you're, you're limiting yourself. Yeah. I wish I could remember the example that one of the students gave me, um, in the class was we were talking about, I mean, it might've been even something like staging a tourniquet, you know, and I, and it was, um, I mean, I always say things like that in class, like never say always or never. Um, and I was probably leaning more towards saying something to the always like, Hey, this is, this is almost always the way that, you know, I would go about something. And then the student immediately gave me an example as to how that might be disadvantageous. And, uh, and immediately I was like, Oh yeah, like, Hey, that's actually the perfect context in which you're absolutely right. And that's what's so hard about, um, that's what's interesting about teaching is because we're teaching and like what we're trying to give people are, are overlays, right? Where there's no way for us to account for all of the variables, for all of the, all the different things that are going to change the exact situation that you're in. But if you can take these overlays and these overlays work, um, over, you know, all these different situations, then, then that's a good tool. Yeah, for sure. Um, I want to play the student for a second. 
because you got some good questions in class and I, I was kind of tracking on a few of the questions that you were getting. Um, but then there are always questions that people are going to ask us about the way that we teach at Fieldcraft. So if I'm a student in class and if I were to say to you, Hey doc, uh, what are two or three things I should have on me every single day and why to address medical needs? Uh, I've got an idea of what you're going to say, but I think you might go somewhere else. So what are two or three things that we should have on us every single day for just on person or like near person? Right. Well, I mean, that, that, that's kind of the funny thing about just even starting there, like on me every single day, it's like, well, I mean, again, like your, uh, your EDC game is a lot stronger than mine. You know, as we were like, we're walking out of the hotel room and, uh, and you're snagging your tourniquet and you're like debating as you're like, Oh, am I going to bring this? Am I not? And you put it in your pocket and I looked at you like, Hey dude, I'm a medic. And I don't have a tourniquet on me right now you know, for walking down to the food court in Luxor. Um, <laughs> but we know, both but had guns, by the way. <laughs> yeah, all day, every day. <laughs> that is, you know, some, th- some things don't change, but just kind of that idea of like, you know, how, how much are people actually going to really carry, you know, on their person? And so if it's not going to be on your person, where are you going to stash it? And then that, all it does is start, again, like making this, this image more high resolution of like the equipment that we buy and how we're actually going to use it in application, not like just in theory. Um, so anyways, if anyone's ever like done a course with me, they understand that every answer I give is, is almost, it depends. And then when I do finally get around to answering a question, I apologize for the, the, the pinball machine that is my brain. But, um, you know, I always talk about the March assessment, you know, like the, the March assessment is, uh, the March assessment is the most important tool that we actually equip people with which is being able to, to actually, you know, find and treat what's going on. Um, that's one of my big pet peeves with medicine sometimes is, is so much of the conversation revolves around the tools, um, which are certainly like something's always better than nothing. And those are always helpful. Um, but just kind of, as I was thinking about it, almost maybe rationalizing or justifying it as you were walking, as you we were walking out of the hotel room and you had your tourniquet in your pocket and I didn't, I was like, well, at least I've gotten experience making some improvised tourniquets. So again, worst case scenario, like I'll, I'll be able to figure this one out. And, um, I don't know, that's kind of how, uh, anyways, to, to more specifically answer the question is, uh, causes of preventable death are, are, you know, bleeding from a compressible hemorrhage. So stuff I'm going to try to carry either on my person or around me, near me, um, stashed inside of vehicles or bags is, uh, is tourniquets. Tourniquets obviously are, are the most, um, probably recognizable piece of, of medical equipment nowadays, which is a, honestly a huge achievement because it does so much good. Um, and, and then honestly getting into like regular gauze or combat gauze, um, and something to, something to wrap it with, you know, a pressure dressing or even an ACE wrap. I mean, that's what we used just kind of solely back in the day, but pressure dressings have come a long way and then chest seals are are going to cover the majority of causes of preventable death for traumatic injuries that that I'm typically you know worried about walk us through the march assessment yeah so um march assessment is is a really easy algorithm that was created to kind of start like there's causes of preventable death right there's then we have to you know, I always start with classes with start talking about expectation management. It's just the fact that, hey, listen, there's lots of people that die from 
causes of death that we can't do anything about. That doesn't mean that we don't do anything to treat them. Uh, because who are we to say that that's who or that category that someone falls in? But it's also kind of a little bit of a, hey, don't beat yourself up. You know, if uh, you don't always have the outcome that you think you're going to have, I think we have an optimist optimism bias that, you know, that real life is like the movie sometimes where I just have to put on a tourniquet and it's going to save the day. But um, anyways, so we have these causes of preventable death that are statistically most likely or least likely to kill you. I mean, they're all they're all likely to kill you, but at different uh, high, you know, higher levels of occurrence. So then we prioritize which ones those are and how fast they can kill you and started creating this is like the, basically the checklist. All right. You know, M is for massive hemorrhaging, massive bleeding and the massive bleeding that's most likely to kill you is, is this you know, arterial blood and by, you know, more specifically blood that might be moving and in compressible areas like the arms and the legs or, you know, junctional kind of armpits growing these, these areas that, uh, super, super vascular likely to get hit. And so that's the, the first thing that I'm checking for. Um, there's lots of other places that can, can have mat like the abdo abdomen, for example, is another huge place that can have massive hemorrhaging, but, um, my ability to control that is extremely limited. So it's kind of, what am I looking for in conjunction with what do I have the tools to do something about? And so anyways, that's M massive hemorrhaging. A is airway. R is respirations. C is circulation. Circulation is perfusion. How well am I getting the oxygenated blood to all the tissues at the uh, far reaches of my body? And H is, I gotta make sure I do this one right, hypothermia. Um, and then you can add in head injury and I always throw in help. Um, I taught a class one time the wrong way and I, and for, I almost, I blurted out head injury, hypothermia, and then threw in help. But I, the whole class all day long was, was looking for head injuries before they were talking about treating hypothermia, which is, uh, I mean, head injuries obviously are, are, are not something that we, that we want, but hypothermia, and especially in trauma is super huge deal. And so I wanted, I got I the whole purpose of the March assessment is to prioritize uh, things that are likely to cause you to expire. And so hypothermia management ahead of head injuries um, are a super big deal. And honestly, I mean, the whole, for the beginning of it, you could call for help. But if you haven't thought about calling for help uh, at the end of it, you certainly want to either call for help or figure out where the help that you called for earlier is at. The looks on the, the faces of the students when you're like, oh, yeah, by the way, outside, even in this temperature, you could die of hypothermia. People are like, what, really? You know, like they don't right, realize right. it. Now, what causes that for the layman? Uh, I mean, so basically, like uh, there's there's actually some some really awesome nerdy YouTube videos that people want to go look this stuff up. But in its simplest and easiest form, um, hypothermia causes you know an acidosis in your in your body that then creates to it leads to a condition called coagulopathy that um and we call this the the lethal triad and the coagulopathy basically makes it harder and harder for your for your your clotting cascade um in your in your body to work the way that it's supposed to so then your you know the ability to achieve hemostasis or just even then you know ultimately your your ability to perfuse, you know, to get the perfusion that you need throughout your body and stuff is, is it all gets compromised. And, um, I'd have to like, I, I hate just slinging like random numbers and things out there, but it's, it's, it it's sounds really good. Keep doing it. Say again. <laughs> I said, it sounds really good. Keep doing it. 
<laughs> yeah, it's, you know, uh, two of these three legs, and uh, you've got less than a uh, less than a ninety or ten percent chance of survival. I don't know that that's actually the the real numbers, but um, you know, as, the point is, is we used to not prioritize hypothermia. I think very highly. Um, I give that example. You know, like when I would when I learned my my seven page checklist of patient assessments in, in medic school in, in 2008, um, hypothermia was. I mean, even if it was prioritized, it was it wasn't like the, the culture that existed around it. Like, oh yeah, grab a blanket, you know, put them put them on a litter, you know, throw them, wrap them up in a blanket, this that whatever. But we were also doing things like starting starting two large bore IVs with fluids that didn't have oxygen carrying capacity. Um, you know, and I mean, and then we were again, you know, maybe, maybe not, you, you know, really pack, like, I don't remember how many blankets that we were actually packing. Even the blankets that we were packing weren't as heavy duty as I think they are now. So as we've learned more and more about it, it's become a way bigger deal just as, as we start paying attention to it. And that's, what's so interesting about medicine. That's why you have to stay current is because, um, as things change, if you're not, if there aren't people out there, you know, uh, paying attention and actually measuring these things, then it will never progress. But because we have more and more people out there paying attention and we have, you know, after again, two decades of the global war on terror, we've had a lot of opportunity to pay attention to things. The, the culture around tourniquets is the easiest example of, of, of that is everyone's deathly afraid of, of tourniquets and, and even huge organizations, um, you know, on the EMS side here in the, uh, here in the, and uh, domestically United States, it's like are, are slow to change, slow to adopt, even though there's been tons and tons of evidence, um, that we can actually get away with using tourniquets a lot more than we used to. You know how many times I still hear people say, well, in the movie first blood, when the dog handler gets shot, they say, Oh, you have to release that tourniquet every, I mean, and I forgot if they said like every 15 minutes, 20 minutes, I don't, I remember what the exact number was, but right, right. there are people out there that think you have to release it. And yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, there's there's people out there that think that you're there that are very concerned with where to put the tourniquet, which is not a bad thing. Um, but they're concerned about it because they're like, man, wherever I put this tourniquet, like they're going to lose this limb from there down. Excuse me. Um, you know, or again, stuff like that. Of you know, I'm supposed to I'm supposed to release it, and they don't even they don't know what interval. Um, you know, there's people think that you know, like oh, after a few hours, I got to make sure I give it I give it circulation. And then we just talk about like, yeah, but you know, you're you're letting some stuff down, but you're letting other stuff up, you know, and when that, when that other stuff that all that necrotic tissue that's been dying since you put on that tourniquet gets released back into your bloodstream, um, you know, you're, you're going to create more problems necessarily than you think that you're solving. Um, that's why, again, I love, I love teaching people that, that, that dichotomy or that phrase of, of the, the do no harm, you know, do no harm and do no harm. K N O W is cause, uh, I think that medicine, I mean, lots of, I mean, really anything is, is rife with those kinds of, um, those kinds of, you know, situations where you're like, Hey man, uh, good initiative, but bad decisions. You know, it's interesting too, in your class, uh, and in the other medical classes I've seen us teach at field fieldcraft, like we tend to use a lot of real world examples. Uh, the facility that we we're in this past weekend with the giant screen, the projector, I mean, it brought those examples even into a bigger picture for people. <laughs> um, but you, you show a few and you know, our, our buddy Scott that was working there was like, Oh, you got to see this one. And even though people go into 
a training event, knowing that they're going to be talking about blood loss. They're going to be talking about trauma. Uh, it's interesting to see people not want to watch the screen to see the mechanism of injury, like whether it's gunshots, accidents. I mean, the one that really turned a lot of people's heads was the, uh, the mountain bike one where the guy gets the handlebar into the, it, it was the, um, yeah, angular yeah. crease, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting because people want to help, but they don't want to see how that harm was caused, which I think that might help. Like, Hey, was this guy shot? Was he punctured? You know, like you might want to well, know. Yeah. Um, how much of our planning revolves around things like that? We, we look, I mean, we have all, you know, our, our acronym MOI mechanism of injury and how, how dependent things are upon like, well, what happened? What was the mechanism of injury? Like it's, it's a huge thing to start. Uh, that's, I mean, where a lot of our, our, our war gaming for a lack of a better term, like originates. One of the questions that a student asked that I think we should share with the listeners was, if you are rendering aid in a fight and we can define fight however you want you against someone else you and all your buddies against someone else and all their buddies i think they said do you ever ground your weapon and it was funny because the look on your face <laughs> was, was amazing so what was your response to that question yeah i i mean my my response was was why am i rendering aid if, um, I mean, and then I think this scenario had more to do with, 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 you know, what's applicable to like people in their daily lives. Um, and that was, you know, so as I think, you know, the, the, the scenario more revolved around, Hey, I've, I've got my, my everyday carry, you know, I've, I've drawn from appendix or whatever the case was. And, the, and, and that, yeah, I think that's how, you know, that, that was the context of the conversation. And, but again, you know, I, I kind of had brought up the fact that, well, if, why am I rendering aid, um, you know, like with my, with my weapons still, still out, um, you know, and because again, doing things like, uh, I mean that, you know, we, we, I, you know, that was the whole conversation I had about, Hey, if has anyone taken like a T triple C class? And I was like, I'm going to distill T triple C into like, you know, 15 seconds. And it was basically like, listen, this is, a competition of priorities, you know, uh, I love asking that question in courses, like what's more important, uh, stopping the threat or, or rendering aid, right. You know, doing the medicine and, and it's funny because you get, I, no matter what, I always get one or the other as, you know, I always get rendering aid or stopping the threat. A lot of times it's stopping the threat. But the answer is always yes. You know, uh, both of them matter, but you know, how much is driven by, again, the opportunity costs. I talk about it in every class. Um, you know, resources I put into one thing, I can put into another and, you know, and things like multitasking. I'm going to, instead of doing one thing well, I'm going to do two things terribly. <laughs> uh, you know, like, I mean, and, and it's, um, yeah, it, it, a lot of that just comes from watching people do things like that. Um, again and again, I mean, of, of, again, multitasking, how many people are trying to, um, laden themselves with tasks as opposed to just, layering it okay i should be doing this and then i should be doing that doing one at a time each independently and well as opposed to uh you know i'm going to do everything all at once because that's what's going to make me super fast you know and then, and then we forget about being efficient Thanks anyways for... i don't yeah i don't know if that answers the question of i would not ground my weapon <laughs> because there are there's 
who knows what the situation is, who knows what's going on. But again, like once, once I ground a weapon, who knows what the, the mental state of the person on the ground hurt is that just happens to find a weapon laying down next to him. Um, you know, the, the type of aid that I'm going to be rendering is going to be dependent upon my ability to then be in a safe place enough for me to put my weapon away where I'm not worried about a threat. Uh, or, um, I mean, I guess that probably what we know more what the governing principle is, is, is I cannot, you know, maybe I have my, I can make stage my weapon. You know, we talked about that of, of, okay, well maybe I put my shirt, uh, behind it. I can throw it back in a holster long enough to do something and then re, you know, redraw or whatever the case was. But I certainly wasn't going to put anything on the ground in my experience when, when something ends up on the ground, it's, it's probably going to end up everywhere else. Yeah. Stepped on, kicked out of the way, rendered inoperable because there's now all sorts of gunk in it. Yeah. Well, and well, well, right. I mean, and just like anyone that, I mean, really from a firearm perspective, even right. It was just the, the idea of like positive control. Like when do I not want to have positive control on a weapon? Yeah. Um, we were just talking about, uh, doing things quickly and efficiently. Uh, we had a little bit of fun towards the end of the class and I said, Hey, let's do an Instagram reel. And we, we put the up, reel. yeah, the, the good old reel, you know, the one that took us all of what, uh, 30 seconds to film and got 190,000, I think as of this podcast, 190,000 views collectively between our page and North American rescue. But, uh, we were, we were just talking about the concept of fair, like, Hey, what would be a fair time to put on a tourniquet and stop blood loss? And of course the medical community, which I'm learning more and more about it and how cutthroat it can be you were saying, and, and I've noticed it, it can be very, very aggressive. Like, well, he said 20 seconds, it should be 19 or, or whatever, you know? Like, right. Yeah, like there exactly. Are people, exactly. <laughs> people with nothing better to do than to try to one up. It's like, oh, I can put a tourniquet on in 10.5 seconds. I can do it in 10.4, you know, like you did a video, put a tourniquet on in under 20 seconds, and you had two full rotations and, and it was solid. And then of course the medical community jumps in, well, he could do it this way and he could do it that it's like, yeah, but he got it done. And trust me, it was on tight. Um, what's your feeling on that in terms of like what a fair time is, what a fair standard is? Cause you kept saying at that class, the only standard is victory. And I think that's an expression. People <laughs> that's my need model, to man. Know. Yeah. It, it only, only standard is victory does not matter how you got there, get there. Yeah. And, and like, honestly, a lot of that comes from a lot of, it's like, it's, it's funny because like the last job, the, like the last job I had in the army, right. Was, was teaching, was recertifying like army medics. And, and that's not like, it wasn't like training brand new baby medics. It was, um, again, all the guys that, you know, some of them come in with, you know, with more experience than me. And that's my job to teach and to train or to, to certify that basically to say that, yeah, you get to be a medic for the next two years or whatever the case is, but them on their tables. And what's so funny is like, we have to have a measurement. We have to have grading criteria because that's what we need to kind of keep everyone to the same standard. But it also is dependent upon like us as instructors to look at how people got there and say, yeah, okay, well, you know what, you might've, um, then some things might violate certain principles, which you know, like it, like another thing. It's always it's always right to do the right thing, but at the end of the day, you know, I have to have that conversation with that medic of, hey man, but I'm pretty. I think this person probably would have lived, you know, or 
um, I think you actually like you did a, you did a decent enough job. You know, you, I don't know because when you hold uh, it, it, anyways, it's a whole conversation about how how people actually perform. You know, and whether or not, um, yeah, it's a, it's knowledge versus wisdom, right? That's probably the easiest way to easiest way to put it. But you asked the question the perfect way, which was, "Hey, what's a fair time to put on a tourniquet?" Right? You didn't ask me like, "What's the best time to put a tourniquet on?" <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Or what's the, you know, what's the maximum time that it should take you to put on a tourniquet? Um, you asked, you know, like, "Hey, what's 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 the fair time?" And I'm like, okay. I mean, I, I took about a second and a half to think about it. I'm like, yeah, well, probably about 20 seconds. Um, are there people out there who are going to do it way faster? Absolutely. Um, but again, you know, even even for times that, that I'm doing it, I mean, it's not hard you know, to probably put me in a situation where, um, you know, I may go to put one on and, and maybe I drop it, you know, or I don't know, something ridiculous that it's like that that pushes you over to 25 or whatever the case is. But Anyways, it's super funny and interesting because again, you'll post stuff like that, and and then it becomes about the way, it, you know, not it being like a way. And, and then and you brought up other examples in that class of how a tourniquet can fail, right? Like you, like if you're using a tourniquet that has plastic components, polymer components, there is a chance it could crack. I mean, metal can crack, um, or you're putting it on someone and they have a cell phone in their pocket and it's not stopping the blood flow. You know, uh, you know, a lot of guys are wearing these, these jackets now that have these upper arm pockets Well, you go to put a tourniquet on and now that whatever object is in that pocket that you might not have noticed is slowing you down. Um, so maybe the standard is like, did it stop the blood flow before that person died? Yep. Guess what? That's a fair standard. You did a good job. Um, I mean, obviously you want to do it before they lose more blood than they have to, but as you said. When people start saying it has to be done in this certain amount of time, really every single time it has to be done. I, I just don't see that as realistic. I don't see that as fair. And I know we like fair is a controversial word. I mean, nothing in mother nature is fair. Ask, <laughs> yeah. ask the gazelle that's getting its asshole eaten out by the, the lion. Um, you know, <laughs> as it's like saying, no, this doesn't feel good. I'm dying. Yeah. Um, you know, but I think it is a fair time to say 20 seconds, get it done in 20, you know, and then if you can do it faster, cool. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, and again, and I, um, uh, again, I, and I'm just, I'm glad I had so many mentors along the way to like, to bring these concepts up. You know I mean, of guys that, um, one of my, uh, one of my mentors that I got to work with, um, in Hawaii, um, another dude named Kevin actually, uh, Kevin Callahan, he was an old, old school, uh, recon Marine dude and they, and they became a, a nurse. I mean, and this is who, this was like, you know, just, I, I could have worked with any, any slew of ra- uh, random civilian nurses inside of a clinic, but luckily the dude that I had sitting next to me was this, um, old school recon Marine, you know? And then like, and so like, that's the wisdom that I get to partake in every time I'm on, on a shift. And that's, you know, like, you know, him and I would do things together and there was like, yeah, there's the way that maybe it should, should have been done. And I'll, I'll never forget like the facial expression he would give me all the time, which was kind of just like a, like the penguin, you know, you just kind of shrug your shoulders, you know, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, we did it. It's fine. Uh, and we, and we make it work. Uh, so, and again, the same thing is, uh, you know, how I was raised was, it was like, everything was, was running and gunning. You know, in 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 some context, but again, like uh, you brought up that story earlier of, 
another super senior, uh, a super seasoned nurse that was like, Hey man, you don't like, you don't run to codes. Um, which again, kind of violated like what I was thinking about. And then, you know, you can, you know, violated like maybe like what I wanted to do, which was, you know, the, the, the medic thing, like grab my bag and off to the races. I'm here to help. I'm going to, you know, don't worry. I'm a medic. I'm here to save you. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, yeah, I mean, that's just not, not how, not what, I don't know what real life should look like or does look like or whatever the case is. And then, that's, and anyways, I always joke about that story because it's funny because I should have learned that lesson long before then. I had another another super, super good mentor of mine that uh, uh, told me about the story about the old bull and the young bull. Oh, boy. Here we go. <laughs> and uh, for those of you that do not know what the old bull and the young bull is, this is probably one of the wisest things I've ever been told. And it was um, – he's like, hey, there's two bulls sitting on a hill. Uh, and the young bull says to the old bull, like, hey, let's, let's, you know, like looking down at a valley at a whole bunch of cows. And it was like, hey, if we, if we weren't run down there really fast, we can, we can fuck one and get, and get away. <laughs> and the old bull says to the young bull, like, no, we're going to walk and we're going to fuck them all. <laughs> <laughs> More wisdom and, that you uh, imparted on the class uh, this past weekend, something that, I think people need to hear this was uh, you're like, Hey, when you're a medic and you show up on scene, you got to control your emotions. Like you don't want to be dealing with someone who is suffering from some type of injury and go, Oh man, you're screwed. Oh, that's bad. Oh, that's ugly. You know, like, like <laughs> yeah. you don't want to wear those expressions on your face. Like, because, oh gosh. You're right. Right. <laughs> and, and it's true. It's like, you gotta, you gotta have that emotional work going on where you're, you're keeping it together, even though in the inside you're falling apart, like, Whoa, this is bad. I've never seen someone's bone pop out like that, you know, uh, because, I mean, <laughs> well, that- you know, the, the bedside manner I think is, is, is developed because I mean, it's super well more on maybe the, uh, more on the medical side, more in the emergency room, you know, mm-hmm. like, uh, look, look somebody in the eyes and try to have a conversation with them. You know, when they, they show up to the ER with, uh, with a pool noodle wrapped in duct tape up their ass and, <laughs> You know, like, and I have to treat you the same as I treat everybody else. When, you know, I'm not interested in knowing how a pool noodle <laughs> gets up one's ass, uh, but I do have to ask the question: Is that as common as as we would all think? Dude, I if, if this page doesn't exist, I wish it would, and it should just be you know a contribution from everybody in the in the emergency room setting. If everyone could start posting. With, you know, obviously no patient identifiers, but the x-rays of foreign bodies in uh, in the rectum, that would be really cool. That would be that would give a lot of people a lot of entertainment. And truly, it would be a cautionary tale, <laughs> you know, like uh, uh, because it's 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 more common than it should be. Probably <laughs> rectum. Damn near killed him. Yeah, rectum. Damn near killed him. <laughs> um, <laughs> Man, there there are so many takeaways from from that medical training and just from that that interaction with all those guys, uh, you know, the students, and then you know we had a bunch of the guys from VanComp there sitting in, you know, Cody and his whole team, uh, and then you know obviously the the LE guys over there. Like, as an instructor, what was your favorite part of the weekend? My favorite part of the weekend is, or I mean, I guess maybe more specifically uh, of the class is kind of our like culmination exercise. You know where we spend we spend all day talking about 
you know, setting expectations and, and, you know, causes of preventable death, what, you know, what some of those might look like, um, you know, and then all day long, I try to drop these little seeds about like, Hey, like when you're, when you're on a scene, it's not, it's not just about the medicine, you know, you've got, you've got people that want to help. You've got people that don't want to help that probably should be, you've got, you know, where is the help? <laughs> you know, like, is it coming? Are you going to them? Um, you know, there's, again, you know, all these things of that, you know, when you start adding the sights, the sounds, the smell, I don't know, you know, all these different things into a scene, it's not always just about, you know, putting on a tourniquet. And that's, like, that's definitely part of it. But that's why I, I love the analogy that, that uh, I think I picked off of a, a YouTube video a long time ago. But it's like playing the guitar, you know, where um, a lot goes into playing the guitar. You know, you've got to you've got to be able to to put the guitar together. You've got to tune the strings. You got to learn how to hold chords and and strum you know strum chords and finger pick and all these things. And all those things together is what makes you a good guitar player. And uh, so being able to like isolate and practice these things individually is really what we do all day long. Is 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 deconstruct the skill that is like treating the injured, taking care of the wounded. And then, so my favorite part is at the end of the day, when we do this culmination exercise and I can introduce these, these variables one at a time, they go from uh, just tuning the strings to, to tuning the strings and then, you know, I'm holding cores and then they, you know, we go through treating these different casualties in these different situations, adding one variable at a time in front of everyone. So there's a little bit of social pressure, right? Cause everyone's watching. Uh, and then, and then people walk away from that, like, Oh, holy crap. There's like this, like I've spent all day thinking about how complicated and hard this would be. And, you know, but in this super microchasm situation, like I just did it. I actually just handled all those things. Like I actually just, like I played my first song on the guitar. And what's interesting is when everyone else in the class is watching these individual, you know, uh, culminating events, I don't want to give away what we do, but they can see us and see you especially because you do most of it. I just go over there and screw with people, um, <laughs> but they, they can see and they, they know what's going on because the stress level is removed, right? They can sit back and relax and watch. They're just like the bystander that's recording with a cell phone where right. there's the patient, there's the responder, and then the bystander. Um, you know, what is kind of interesting too is like a great takeaway from that whole experience is when you, and I, and I brought this up, this was like my little, you know, nugget that I threw out to the audience. I was like, look, be more assertive with your commands. Don't say, hey, can you call for help? Because that always gives the person the option of saying no. <laughs> you know, like maybe the yeah. maybe, maybe there's someone <laughs> yeah. who who doesn't want to help, as opposed to hey you call for help, and then they're like oh, oh you know the, you get them kind of caught up in that that OODA loop, and it's like you call for help, like and you yell at them, and suddenly you're not asking for permission, you're telling someone to do something when it's someone's life on the line, right? Um, right. Yeah. With with this current situation, they're they're not likely to to challenge your authority. <laughs> Yeah, can you call for help? No, man, I got somewhere else I need to be. Um, <laughs> yeah. Man, there, there, are so, there are so many, so many good moments this weekend. Uh, you know, one of the the things that we're going to start doing, and I actually I did it for the land nav, and I'm I'm sure we'll probably do one for the med class too, is having like a hey, if you show up to class with a few of these items, it'll even improve your 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 experience more so. Um and you know, maybe not 
force them to spend a whole bunch of money, but say like, look, you might want to have your own tourniquet that looks like this, or maybe have a training tourniquet or, or, or bring a flashlight so we can simulate low light medical training, you know, like give the students the option to make the training as leveled up as they, as they want, you know? Right. I mean, I think that honestly, like I thought about this a couple of times because what I always get is at the end of the class, someone always asks me to look at a med kit that they yeah. put together, you know, like, Hey, can you, can you, can you look at this? You know? And, and, um, and it's funny just because again, like my, my brain just gets wrapped around details and I'm like, well, look at it. Do you want me to like, look at it and tell you like, Oh man, this, you got a lot of cool stuff in here. I mean, you want me to look at it and tell you like, Hey, well, you probably shouldn't layer it like this or yeah. you're, here, here's you the want me to tell you what you're missing. Yeah. Here's the pat on the back. Good job, man. Yeah. I know you wanted that good job. So here's your good job, you know, or is it more critical? Like you might want to go with the six inch bandage as opposed to that little three inch, you know? Right. Right. And they right. And having to gauge it all. And that, and that's honestly one thing is like, uh, for anyone that does show up to training, like by all means, like bring every piece of medical kit that you want me to take a look at and then ask me a super specific question about what it is that you're, that you're looking for. Uh, even on social media, I mean, like I get, I get, still get messages about, you know, I, Hey, I'm debating between this or that, and, you know, what do you think? Um, you know, I love answering questions because again, like my, my favorite part is to, is to, to try to help out. And then I, and again, I always say like my, my, with my opinion in a dollar, you can buy a drink at McDonald's, maybe not anymore, but you used to be able to, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's like I, I like I like being to help students when they when they come and they show up. The hard part though is is like when you're picking equipment. It's funny like I wish that I would have taken Kevin Owens's long range class before I bought anything for long range. What did you, you know, buy for uh, long range? Uh, well, I actually like got super lucky. Uh, my long range rig is a is a is an M one A. Okay. Um. So I mean, in three hundred eight. Which I mean, I can rebarrel the six five uh, Creedmoor, and I, I I joke around about doing that all the time. But uh, you know, I had a, a three hundred eight gun, and then it's the optic. The optic is always the thing that it's funny. Like you know, having helped helped assist teach that uh, with him a couple times. It's funny how many people show up with equipment, and and they're like, oh, crap! Like I wish I would have bought something different." You know, my uh, my reticle, you know, is a my you know, my reticle is different measurements than my turrets. Oh my God. That's that, you know that I mean? long range dyslexia, right? One's MRAD, one's MOA. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and like, or, you know, or again, or people like, um, you know, and again, like second focal plane has its, has its, has its place, but how many, like I like first focal plane for the idea, for the fact that like my, my holdovers are consistent as I zoom in and out. So, I mean, people that show up with people that want the same thing and then show up with second, fo- second focal plane, optics you know and they're like oh crap you know yeah luckily there's a whole piece of equipment so it's kind of the same thing with medical gears you know like oh i i bought this kit because it was on sale or i did this or i did that just to go to a class and then find out like oh i actually like the way that this is put together you know i have a soft tee and i like the cat or i like the cat and i have a soft and now i want a soft tee um but luckily like you can easily repurpose that optic for something else or give it to someone who, who wants that. Like the community is great. I mean, I remember growing up in the survival community where I'd buy something and be like, okay, this is great. Let me sell it to someone else so I can buy something that is more appropriate for like an advanced level as I was progressing. But there was always someone that was willing to buy like 
I don't want to call him like a hand-me-down, but like I remember a buddy of mine, uh, you know, Jimmy from high school, he bought a Spyderco knife for me. And then another one bought, you know, this knife. And like, I just kept progressing and, and buying other stuff. And that's, I mean, you and I both do that. The There's the thrill of the chase with certain gear items too. I know you can be kind of a gear gear junkie like I can. Uh, oh, yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I hear you on that one, man. So, I mean, that's what's fun about medical gear though, is even as you're like, I, so, I mean, I would say that even as some of my, my preferences have changed, um, you know, since, since I've been playing with, you know, or, you know, working with different stuff and it, I don't get rid of the stuff that I have now. Um, you know, it, it just is, I layer it in different ways, you know, where maybe I want the, you know, some equipment to be more ready accessible and other equipment I have more of, uh, in reserve, you know, in the event that I need those and my, I, I layer it that way. And cause Again, I talk about it all the time, like me- the medical equipment you buy is like insurance. Um, and, you know, you'll, you, you the, the, the higher premium you pay, typically the more coverage you're, you're going to get. Um, you know, and some of that might, you know, some of it is you're paying for coverage that you don't really eventually think that you need. But the point is, is the cool thing about it is, as long as it's not, you know, damaged or messed up, you know, or, or, or crazy expired. And even for that, I would, you know, I'd be, I'd, I'd, I'd have to look at the condition or how it was stored, but it's like, if you buy medical gear that ultimately you decide not to use, you I mean, you can still train with, or you layer it and then if it ends up being expired, I mean, you can use it for a long, long, long time. I mean, those training tourniquets, you know, we use those. I'm not suggesting anyone that should use a training tourniquet for real life. I have to like say these things out loud now, but the point is, is uh, you get a lot of use out of a training tourniquet. You know, the training tourniquets that we use, we've been training with for, for, you know, a long time through a lot of classes and a lot of people and they're still super effective. Do you have any medical pet peeves like from medics or things that you've seen on television or like, uh, like old wives knowledge that you're like, no, please don't ever do that. You know, like, is there anything that just drives uh, you absolutely up a wall? I don't know. Yeah. There's, there's honestly probably a ton of them. I just have to like think long enough about, it. I just have to like try to think about all the nurses I know really quick. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I pick on nurses all the time, but I mean, you hear that you get it in the context of, there's obviously lots of nurses that I love and respect, but, um, the medic, we talked about it. Like maybe that's one of my biggest medical pet peeves is, uh, is how, as for how hard it is for people to, to not think that they know everything or, um, it's almost like, I mean, like they tell that to themselves and maybe they're close circles of like, Oh yeah, you know what? I'm probably not very good at that. Or. Um, or I should get better or, Hey, you know what? I'm not very experienced, but then it's like, uh, but then like, you, it's almost like as soon as you add, you know, other medical people into the circle, it's like, well, it's like a, it's like the best medic competition all the time, <laughs> you know, like, uh, as opposed to just like patient focus. More, it's more about the medic. What's that? I said, it's, it's less patient focus and more about the medic, right? Like, you know. I'm yeah, the, I'm the I best mean, one here. I've the I have seniority. You know, it's like, well, why don't we just focus on the dude? You know? Yeah, seriously. I mean, like, like I mean, and what's funny is because it is is so many of the people that I meet are actually not like this. Um, but it, it truly, to me, I feel like is a uh, is you like you're only as fast as your slowest guy, or you or like you can't sink to the low. Like that's like the community can't help but sink to the lowest common denominator. If that makes sense. And like every, I guarantee every paramedic and every nurse that is listening to this, like knows, knows that paramedic, knows that nurse, that EMT, whatever, that thinks that they're like God's gift to medicine, which, um, 
almost certainly is like not the case. And maybe they are that awesome. But even if they are that awesome, again, it's like cool story, bro. But I happen to be an expert in cool stories. (laughs) (laughs) If you could give advice to someone out there, like, uh, like a teenager, like, Hey, what medical class should you take? And then like for adults, like, is there a pathway that you would recommend? Even if it's not through field craft, like there's community first aid, there's babysitting first aid, there's, there's, you know, EMT wilderness EMT. Like, do you have a, a recommendation for like pretty much everyone out there? Yeah. Um, I mean, first and foremost, the, I, the, the, to me, it's always context. Um, like the context in which you want to use the medicine is, is super important, you know? And then, and then there's things like, like, uh, like resources, right? I mean, cause a lot of, I mean, like our, our class is not free. Like we offer some free training, but it's not, it's not free. I mean, you're investing some of your money to, to gain some of these skills. Um, and a lot of them for your time, you know, it's, it's funny to me how many people finish a, when, when people finish a med course, you know, that, that, that we might run and then they're like, oh man, I, I love this. Like I, I want to go get my EMT license, you know, and part of me is like, oh my gosh, man, I, I, I was trying to save you from that. You know, like don't, don't waste your time and money. Um, I'm just kidding. I, but, but it's almost like, uh, but yeah, again, a lot of times like you'll go, I mean, you'll go get your EMT license to figure out that, you know, they taught you a lot about the body that you probably could have looked up on your own. And you're basically allowed to give oxygen and transport. Um, and that's, that's you know, welcome to being an EMT. I don't know. <laughs> and that's not necessarily what they, what they thought or what they wanted it to be. So, I mean, and almost maybe the same thing with, with stop the bleed. I love stop the bleed. Like in the sense that I, I love that. Like it's a good, like it's a great initiative. Um, Cause something's always better than nothing, but to put it back in that guitar, um, analogy is or metaphor probably is you're only practicing one thing and so as you as as people go go to this place or go to that place you know because we are we are not the the only authority on and not even close to the only authority on on medical training but you know go to other places figure out what's what you like what's what you not necessarily what you don't like because it's not about preferences as much as what you think is useful um, if you can imagine yourself using the medicine, the tools that you're learning, well, then, then it's useful. Uh, if you're taking a class or a course and you don't know how you're going to be able to apply it, then, then there's obviously a gap there because eventually it's going to come time to do something with your hands. And when it comes time to, to do something or to make decisions, even, um, if what you're doing is not preparing you to to make decisions or to do something with your hands, it's not going to be useful, man. Yeah. The last thing that I think anyone here or listening would want is to have all this training and then not being able to act right. Like not having the willingness to actually try it or, or save someone's life. Cause you can imagine like the regret you would live with for the rest of your life. If you knew that you could have saved someone, but you weren't willing to, right. Because maybe you're afraid to, to do something because, I don't know, maybe you didn't want to get sued or maybe you thought, well, they're going to die anyway. I can't help them. Like, but then you realize you could have. So I hope people listening get training. I hope that they realize they, they can definitely affect people. Um, and it may not even be where they think they're going to use it. Like I, I give the story all the time. Like I was a lifeguard for many, many years and I rescued people at a amusement park that I used to work at. But when I was on vacation, I was using it. And in college, I used the Heimlich maneuver. Like 
medical training, you can't prepare for when it's going to be needed. You can prepare for, or I should say, you can't predict when it's going to be needed. It just happens to show up. And it's usually the worst freaking time. Yeah, because that's Murphy's Law, right? You know, the 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 enemy inevitably attacks at two times, you know, when when they're ready and when you are not. (laughs) Yeah, that sucks. Um, Uh, Man. So. Yeah. The. Oh, man, I'm going to try to, like, dig this back up because I was thinking about it while you're talking about it. And it just super important of, oh, yeah, just just that, uh, like, nothing, nothing's, nothing's necessarily easy, but it's also not that hard. Like, I wish that at the beginning of the class that I could, I could show someone, like, hey, this emotional barrier that you feel to, to learning you know, to feeling like you're going to be competent or capable enough to, to perform these skills is, is not that hard to navigate and how you can really do a lot with a little, um, you know, it, it, it's the one, again, it's, it's kind of analogous. It's like, I love, you know, after so much time in the army, you know, I think the furthest I'd ever shot out was like 500, 500 meters. Mm-hmm. You know? And then I, you know, you do it a day and a half course with, with Kevin Owens and he's got almost everybody pushing steel out to 1100. And it's, it's just funny to me, like how, how, how fast you can go super far and then subsequent gains after that, like, yeah, you're learning the art and you're, you're getting good and you're figuring out what works or what doesn't. Um, but you can do a lot with a little. And so even doing these, these one day courses, and as long as it's putting it into context and practical application where you walk away, actually feeling empowered to, to do the skills that you're, you're trying to acquire that it, it makes all the difference in the world. And I think they're there right around the the time that they need to be. I mean, we said how like we had to extend them a little bit because we were pushing to get everything in. Um, but there does come a point in training on a one day level where you hit saturation point, right? Or you hit oh, yeah. you you hit a point of diminishing returns. So I think we tend to do a pretty decent job. I I, I was impressed with how much you got in in such a short time uh, with these medical classes. Um, and same thing with like Jerry and, you know, Megan and all these other folks that are coming on board uh, to do the right. same. Um, but, I mean, that's, that's, that, I mean, that's honestly one of the things like, like if I, if I had to pick one thing about field craft that I just absolutely love and stand by, it's like, it's that every single instructor is like, is going to stay there with you until, um, until that, you know, they, that they're satisfied with their performance, that you're able to use the skills that you came for. And like, there, you know, there's, there's only so much that we can talk about in an eight hour day. And we would love to, we would love to, to give as much as we could, but there's again, like there's that like opportunity cost of decisions that we have to make of what to put in a course or what not to put in a course. Uh, and when to stop it, when, you know, I, I love your policy of, uh, like, hey, you know, for 30 minutes for lunch, we are not going to talk about anything regarding the subject. Don't even ask me the questions. Like, let's, just, you know, let's just, let's talk, let, let's take this mental break. Um, and then you, you, I mean, you can tell because then people come back and it's, they're already um, ready and refreshed and, and to get more. And so it was the same thing with the, with the, the land nav class that we did uh, on Sunday was the same thing with a practical exercise of, of, like we are committed to making sure that people leave actually feeling empowered with some of the stuff and not just, you know, letting, letting someone drink from the fire hose all day long. Uh, and they, they, 
they might leave less thirsty than when they showed up, but that doesn't mean that they're, they're hydrated, you know? Yeah. And <clears throat> I think what we're going to do, uh, I know I'm going to go back. I got to add a couple more things to that handout. Um, we've done a couple of videos on like land navigation basics, like how to be more accurate while sighting. I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to link that in that document. And, you know, the beauty, of, the beautiful thing of Fieldcraft and what we get to do is we are building like a living document. You know, we're building, um, we're building a, a training program that it doesn't get set in stone. Like it's always changing, you know, and right. I always tell people like you can show up and you can, uh, take a class one year and then come back the next year and it's going to be totally different. Um, so that's, that's a cool thing, especially with what you do. There's so many scenarios. Like when you get people up to that point where they can just apply the knowledge, that March assessment, but you give them 50 different scenarios. I know that was a discussion at one point. People were like, can we just do a class just on scenarios? And it's like, I'm sure we could. Um, yeah, I mean, but you know, but I've got to give you the, I've got to give you the tools to test you on before I start testing you. Right, right, um, right, right. Yeah. I mean, and, and so um, if, if, if people are interested, I mean, like that's where, um, Kevin Owens and, and, and he's, he's super awesome for deciding like, you know, how we need to break this stuff down. And we've talked about, you know, the, the medical, the medical curriculum, right. Uh, you know, we're really gonna, we're getting ready to roll out these, these last couple courses, which is, so then there'll be, uh, this emergency medical treatment, which we're already doing all over, um, which is, which is, you know, life-threatening trauma. Um, and then we have an austere course, um, austere medicine for, for being more out in the backcountry, where a lot of our, a lot of our, um, client, you know, per, you know, our, our following, you know, like tends to like to do things where we encourage everyone to go is to, to remote austere places. And then if anything life-threatening happens there, well, now you have the fundamentals of trauma from the first course, uh, that you can go on. And even if you don't have that, you know, we touch on it in the austere and then it's also, um, medical emergencies that, that are environment related that, that you, that aren't necessarily trauma that, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot more to medicine than trauma. Trauma is the easy part really. Uh, and then, and then family medicine, you know, is another one that, that he's really wanted to line out that we've been talking a lot about, which is, you know, which is, I got a question today uh, on Instagram, which was, Hey, when's your next med class? You know, like I'm getting ready to, I'm getting ready to have a kid. And I want, you know, and my wife and I like want to take a first aid course. And one, I like, I love and am honored to the fact that someone is, is they're, they're having a kid, right? They're, they're looking at their responsibility in the world increasing. And now they're, they're looking at how they can prepare by gaining medical knowledge in case they have to, you know, per, you know, <laughs> help that child. And, but, you know, and all things considered though, like, I'm like, to answer your question, maybe even earlier where, first, you know, trauma is not first aid. And so having, but having those first aid fundamentals come up all the time, like I wonder how many people show up to, to our, to our emergency medical treatment course and, and are upset that we're like not shooting at each other because they, they expected a, a tactical combat casualty care course, you know, right. or we do a, they, they show up to what they thought was a first aid course and they're upset. We didn't do any, any splinting or any sutures or something, but they, you know, they have different knowledge gaps that people are trying to fill. And that's why we have these different courses because we can only, we can only cram so much into an eight hour day. Right. And, and, it, you know, and we want to cover those bases of <clears throat> austere environment type stuff, trauma, life-threatening emergencies that need to be dealt with here. And we, and family first aid things that, you know, will hopefully 
Um, when it when it's not life threatening, you know, you, it still is a medical problem and still needs to be addressed. And and arming people with those tools as well, and the three of those together, hopefully, will complement each other super well. And and I think. I think you, you hit the nail on the head that they all complement one another. You cannot use them in individually. Like if you accidentally get cut on the range, um, by, I don't know, clearing a malfunction and you need a simple bandage, you probably don't want to break out the hemostatic gauze. You, know, you could right. probably get away with <laughs> the prince $40 to, to treat your, you know, half inch laceration. Yeah. You could probably get away with the princess bandage or the, the Snoopy one. Um, yeah. But uh, SpongeBob band-aids. Yeah, I hear those are the ones that stop the bleeding the best, um, yeah. or at least the pain, the boo boo. Um, right. So now that's it. Yeah, comfort care. If, if people want to know more about you, um, I mean, they can they can check out your your Instagram. But like, you're a diverse character. I know you're into surfing. You're trying to get your pilot's license, uh, or you want to. I know you you're that's like your your new hot thing. Uh you tend to be an yeah. AK guy, right? More AK than than M4, or is it kind of both? Uh I mean pr- pretty both. I mean, obviously like I, I grew up with uh obviously being in the military and, and doing ARs and five five six and stuff, but uh there's you know, it was maybe a maybe a, a know thy enemy type thing that that got me got me super super interested in the AK. And so I've, I've done a lot of different, uh, AK builds and I think I've uh, finalized a couple of them, but yeah, I mean, I, um, I'm probably more of a, of a gun guy, obviously overall, like that's probably not uncommon with people that work for our company. Yeah. Now where can people find you? Um, what's your Instagram handle? Uh, doc, Nate Jones. So doc, Nate Jones on Instagram. And then if they need to email you, if they need to email me, um, I'm actually setting up my Philcraft email today, but, um, Nate N A T E dot Jones two zero zero seven at Gmail is, uh, is my email that, uh, I'll take questions and comments to as well. There you go, guys. All right, man. Is there anything that we didn't talk about yet? I mean, like we didn't talk about the Bellagio, uh, you know, getting that <laughs> amazing buffet and your, uh, your, your penchant for, seven scoops of, of gelato or anything like that. But like, is there anything that we didn't talk about or you want to talk about? Uh, no, I mean, uh, nothing really, I'm sure for today. Um, you know, as, uh, that's, what's fun about, like I said, as these courses change, you know, as we, as we do more of these courses and we get more insight into what people think or, you know, what people are thinking and what they're looking for. Um, hopefully we'll get to get, you know, we'll do some, some follow-up podcasts like that and talk about how, Things are growing, changing, developing, uh, addressing, addressing things that haven't necessarily uh, come up. Yeah, and this won't be the last podcast that we do. And at some point, I got to get you over here to Heber to host the podcast, and you can call out all sorts of people. But uh, I'm going to call yeah. out one person right now. That's Sarah, our HR gal. She uh, she's been challenged. She's going to put on a tourniquet faster than you can. So, faster than me? Yeah, just throwing it out there. We're, she's, Wait, she doesn't care about that using... fair stuff. She's going to do it faster. Are we using, are we only using the one that I did in the 20 seconds or are we, what's funny is again, like how often that, like, uh, how, how, like, again, it's always right to do the right thing. And I put that one on and, and someone again, cause it's the internet and it's full of nerds and, and they caught that the windlass, I didn't make it into the windlass, uh, latch. And so, uh, technically, I mean, if we're going to be specific, that doesn't, that doesn't meet muster. Right. But, uh, 
you know, we were talking about that where I'm like, Hey, you know, absolutely right. Should always do, should always do it to, you know, to be consistent. But, uh, I've seen a lot of ugly shit do the, do the job and the only standard is victory. <laughs> Let's leave it at that. All right, man. Well, Hey, good talking to you. And uh, I'm looking forward to teaching with you again. And, uh, guys, thank you so much for listening. <laughs>